Hi, my name is Jeff Tippett. I'm the author of Unleashing Your Superpower, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you could just be more influential? You know, being able to make your case about a deadline or deliverable to a key customer, being able to explain a strategy so that it resonates with the largest number of your team, and so on? Well, my next guest, Jeff Tippett, author of Unleashing Your Superpower, why persuasive communication is the only force you'll ever need, shares the basis for becoming more persuasive in this episode. I love how Jeff explained that persuasion is helping others find their win, because when you think about it from the perspective of the person you're seeking to persuade, you're already ahead of the game. Listen in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Jeff Tippett. Jeff is a subject matter expert on persuasive communications and the founder of Targeted Persuasion, an award-winning public affairs and communications firm. He shares his message in a variety of live forums at association meetings, healthcare settings to increase compliance and patient satisfaction, and sales conferences where they need new ideas and fresh perspectives. He's here to talk about his second book, Unleashing Your Superpower, Why Persuasive Communication is the Only Force You Will Ever Need. His bold statement is that we all live or die based on our ability to persuade. We'll get into that. Jeff is based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. I'm so glad to have you here. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? So I studied classical piano growing up. In fact, my undergraduate degree is in piano. And I would say my piano teacher, Ms. Elizabeth Fuller, um, she did so much to instill in me the discipline of, of what it takes, of, of putting in the work every single day to be able to reach the goals that I was after, which was often performances and competition. So I'd say Ms. Fuller was a huge impact on me as a child. And did you take any of that piano training and bring it from classical into something more modern? Yes, um, I play on stages still a little bit um, as time allows around different areas here in the Raleigh area, but I still play piano, just not as much as I used to, but it is still part of my life. It's funny, a, a friend of mine, Steve Harrison, who you may have heard of, he talks of how, how important it is to position yourself well. And he says with positioning, people can acquire just about anything in life. And he talks extensively about how he went through a lot of piano training, but never really found satisfaction until he found a friend who just said, no, you could play anything with the training you've had and it doesn't take as long as you might think. And he started showing him how he could readjust things. And when he really started to feel like he got it was when he started playing Billy Joel without any additional <laughs> lesson. <laughs> That's true, especially growing up playing classical music, doing the scales and arpeggios and all of that, and, and the reading skills there. It does translate. I've done some light jazz type work, reading chord charts, and it does translate really easily. And I end up in undergraduate school having to learn how to play all the instruments of the orchestra. Now, I was not competent. I didn't play well, but that was part of it. But it did translate fairly easily to the other instruments as well. And what's interesting is that music is another way of communicating. And we're here today to talk about persuasion. So, it's exa that's exactly right. My life has not changed. It's just a little different. Playing different notes, perhaps. That's right. You like that transition? I love it. <laughs> How do you define persuasion, especially in contrast with manipulation, say? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And oftentimes people don't understand the difference. And I feel like when they do, when we can pull these two apart and people understand the difference, the light bulbs will go off for them and they'll feel a lot of freedom in the, in the operate in the area of persuasion. And I define it this way, that manipulation is to control or to influence a person or a situation, to do it cleverly, to do it unfairly. So like persuasion, we are moving people, but we're moving people out of our own self-interest or our own best interest. Now, contrast that with persuasion. Persuasion is the same. We are causing people to do something, but we're doing it through reasoning or we're doing it through argument. And the word argument here is not what we do at Thanksgiving around our tables talking about politics and religion. The word argument here really means two people or two groups of people talking about like what they're after, what's important to them, and being very open with that type of conversation. And then we're, we're causing people to believe something, to come to our perspective in this case, especially after the sustained effort, and we've provided sound reasoning for them. And I look for two big words, two magical words at the end of a sales pitch or like working with someone to come speak for them. And if I hear these two words, I know that I persuaded and I didn't manipulate. And those two words are, that's right. So when we finish up something and the, the client says, hey, Jeff, that's right. Your company can help me with this problem. Your company can help fix this. Or Jeff, yes, that's right. You're the right speaker to come for our organization. What's happened at this point is they have adopted my truth, my reasoning for themselves, and they see it in their own self-interest. And that's a sweet place to be. And I noticed that you didn't talk anything about raising your voice where the loudest person arguing <laughs> is the one who's most persuasive. You know, absolutely not. I think this is, is the exact <laughs> opposite of that, where we can have a quieter voice that we're providing a lot of sound reasoning, a lot of sound logic for people. And I also find that it's interesting to think about being persuasive. Sometimes it's the person who's offering information, and sometimes it's the person who's asking good questions. Do you find that to be the case as well, that question asking is an important aspect of being persuasive? Absolutely. Um, in fact, one of the chapters that I have on is called Helping Others Find Their Win. I talk about that. I talk about asking because a big part of this, especially as it comes to persuasion, you know, what we're looking for is what the other person wants as well. So we understand like where their needs are, whether it's in health, wealth, or relationships, wherever the gaps are, whatever it is that, that they need, and we can, can bring solutions to the table. I think this does come through asking, and that's that argument factor that I was talking about earlier. When other people are asking and we're expressing, that's where we really begin to have this good conversation. Can you think of an example where someone in business is looking to persuade someone on their team? say to adhere, follow better adherence to safety or compliance guidelines and being able to really convey it because it probably doesn't involve just logic. You probably have to bring in, here are some of the serious risks, risks that we want to avoid by following these procedures more closely. Yeah. And you know, one of the things, Bill, that I find as I'm going into to companies is that oftentimes, especially with an, an expanding millennial workforce, Mm -hmm. They are looking more for persuasion than just hitting people over the head saying, this is where you have to go. But, but part of that is, again, is going back again to, to being able to help people understand in their best interest, like why, why this works better for them, what is here for them and for their own benefit. And what's an example you found maybe working with people or giving a presentation with Q&A where someone laid out a problem for you and you're able to offer them insightful tips or techniques that they could use to improve their persuasiveness 
and become a better leader at work. I was working with a group that was outside of New York City doing some sales training. And one of the best conversations happened after we were in the, the big seminar, the breakout seminar, having a conversations with a person by the name of Mark. And what we found in talking with, with Mark and listening to him and his story of how he was trying to sell, so much of what he was doing was about the features of a product, the service of, of what it is that they were doing and all the benefits, as opposed to even understanding what his audience was after, what problem that Mark was trying to solve for his clients. And part of the mindset shift here was when he, he moved it away from just his product and began to talk about how, how this solves, understanding what it is that this person's, you know, the breakdown was, the need that they had, and put it focused on them instead of him, the mindset shift there began to change for him. See, that's key. Everyone listening to this can benefit by realizing that when you need to persuade, you need to think and put yourself in the other person's shoes so that you could understand what it is they're after, what's their desired state. And just as you said, Jeff, it's important to think of the other person and how you can be of service, which is probably something that doesn't occur when someone's looking to coerce or manipulate. Absolutely. And one of the things that I like about persuasion is helping people understand that persuasion is leadership. Persuasion is showing people a new uh, the way something could look in the future, the way things could be different, the way things could be better. But again, to go to the point that we're making here, it's about them. It's about their future. It's about what's best for them. Uh, in the book that I wrote, the chapter on helping others find their win, I start out with a quote from Zig Ziglar, who tells us basically that if we help enough other people get what they want in life, that we'll get what it is that we want. And I offer people three quick, easy ways that they can begin to make sure that their focus is on other people. And first of all, is what we were talking about earlier, is listening. Like, listening to the person's need, listening to the gaps, listening to what's going on. I don't know about you, but I'm willing to write a check or swipe my credit card if someone can fix a problem for me, right? So listen to the person and then ask clarifying questions. If you're in a, a relationship, you probably had a situation where your spouse or other person said something, we heard something totally different and we go act on that. And then it's all a mess, right? So going back and asking questions, asking clarifying questions as well. Not just yes, no questions, but asking more details, asking for clarifying. And then what we want is we want to seek alignment of what it is that we're offering, what it is that they need, through these clarifying questions. And when we find that little Venn diagram area where all this overlaps, this is the sweet spot where we can move forward together. See, that's a real important model to keep in mind. So one of the things that's really important with being persuasive is getting attention. It's actually a prerequisite, I would say, to being persuasive. What are some of the most effective ways that you've found for business leaders to get attention with their team or their vendors or their customers? especially with ubiquity of smartphones and social media. You know, a big part of, of catching people's attention here is understanding that we have to uh, capture their attention extremely early. This is not the days where you know, people will, will spend lots and lots of time. Things are made fast. We capture their attention early on or we lose them. I was in a seminar with Facebook, understanding some, how to run some political ads with them. And they made a statement that really stuck out to me. Um, and they said, they said this, that they said that today the thumb rules. Right. And so here's what we know about that. It's, it's not necessarily that we know the thumb's not making the decision, but the thumb is scrolling on screens. So a lot of this plays out to digital communication as well. Understand that we've got seconds here to say something that we can capture their attention and we have to capture their attention early, realizing we've got three, four, maybe five seconds to capture their attention and then they're gone. So what do you recommend? So if in the case of digital media, in order to stand out, how do you think about it to stand out and what practical tips can people adopt knowing 
that you need to appeal to their thumb as well as their brain. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, absolutely. So one of the things that, that I love to help like, people do is develop the message and develop this very simple message that people can understand. One of the things that I find in capturing people's attention is oftentimes our message isn't succinct and very clear. Like we've got all of this expanded messaging out there that could be fine over time, but making sure that we pull in earlier and make sure that the message is extremely simple, that within seconds people can, we can capture people's attention. I do this in face-to-face -face conversations, Bill, when people say, hey, Jeff, what do you do for a living? I'll say this. I say I speak professionally, and then I stop. Now, most of us use a 30-second elevator pitch, right, where we go in and we keep talking and we keep talking and we watch the people's eyes glaze over. But I'll say something as simple as I speak professionally, and 99 times out of 100, the next thing that they say is, oh, well, what do you speak about, Jeff? At which point I'll say, I speak on persuasive communications. And then they oftentimes come back and say, oh, so you teach people how to manipulate for a living. And then we can kind of dissect this. But a big part of this is like not throwing everything out there at once, but we're trying to whet people's appetite. Say just a little bit, say two to three words that invokes them, something in them so that they become curious, that they want to know more, once again, for themselves. Not for us, but for themselves. And that's the way to engage them early. All right. So curiosity and relevance are two key factors in being able to be persuasive. And what you illustrated so nicely in your example when people ask you what you do for a living is that you're confident. You put out very good words that people can understand. It's succinct. It's clear. And then you're into a conversation rather than a monologue. That's exactly it, Bill. That's, that's what we're pointing to. We want a conversation. I want the other person involved. This isn't about, I want them asking questions. This isn't about me. Remember, in all the things that we do in persuasion, this is about them. It's about their needs. So I want to put this back to them. Now, I do have to show leadership and I have to whet their appetite. I have to set them up to ask you know, really good questions here. But what I don't want to do is talk for 30 to 60 to 90 seconds and have them just stand there. I want them to be so curious that they're asking me questions. So that's important. Everyone listening to this now is saying to themselves, well, I ask good questions. Help us understand how to ask better questions, how to ask questions that improve our ability to be persuasive by asking insightful questions. Yeah, great great question there. So I have a chapter in the book called Craft a Call to Action that Users Can't Resist. And that's part of this. Like, how do we set people up in, in this call to action, right? And a couple of things here that I think can help is, first of all, is making sure that, as you alluded to earlier from my illustration here, is that making sure that it's clear, right? That it's very simple, that it's, it's very clear. You know, making sure that we're using strong action verbs as well. One of the things that I like to do in helping to pull other people into this as well is use the word you or your extremely early in the conversation or very early in the messaging. Why? What does that do? That helps them understand this is about them. There's something here for them so that they become more engaged in what we're saying. Now, I do make sure that I communicate value in these conversations as well. I encourage people to find ways to be clever about it. Now, I'm not saying be trite or, you know, too crafty in this, but make sure that, that we're saying things in a very clever way. Another big part of this too is uh, involving emotion. Right? How do we get people's emotion involved? Like when I tell the story of the adoption from the, of the, this baby from the country of Haiti, I want to evoke their emotions to get them buying into my story. What's an example of a clever ad or a clever message 
And how could they have gone wrong if they hadn't gotten it just right? <laughs> Great question. There's this ad, and I believe this company is called Century. Here's why I love the ad. The ad shows a, a person, and they, they sell security, especially like for online work. What I love about the ad is this. They show a person standing there on their phone, looking at scrolling through, and a person looking over her shoulder, and the person begins to laugh. Here's, that evokes emotion in me immediately because I know what that feels like to have someone looking in and perching over my screen to see what I'm doing. And, and the, the way that I feel like when that happens, I feel invaded. Like I feel like, yeah. like people are coming in. So they illustrate that and then they immediately show like the cyber side of that, like with just these blue images of people that we don't visualize, but could actually be looking in on our data and the things that we're exchanging. I love that because it evokes an emotion that I feel in inside of me. Mm -hmm. They already meet you with a sentiment or emotion that you're already feeling, and they illustrate it in some way that you may not have seen before. Exactly. And that was the take that we took. We ran a public affairs campaign here in North Carolina called Free the Mimosa. It was a North Carolina brunch bill. And our goal here was to move Sunday alcohol sales from noon to 10 a.m. I didn't have any polling, I couldn't test language, but here's what I knew in this, was that most people had gone to a restaurant on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock with grandma and mom for Mother's Day to order a mimosa to be told no, that they couldn't have a mimosa because it wasn't 12 o'clock yet. So in this, we used the hashtag free the mimosa because I wanted to capture that feeling. I didn't have to create this feeling. They already had experienced it. I just needed to attach that feeling of being told no to a solution to being told yes. Right. And you created a rallying point just through that simple structure. Exactly. And I spoke to something that was important to them. Now, I was hired by the National Restaurant Association of Washington, D.C. to run the campaign. And yes, I had to you know, bring to the table what they wanted. But in the approach of dealing with this public affairs campaign, I made it about the users. I made it about the gap that they had there, the feelings that they had. And I offered them, hey, here's a solution. Follow this path and we can help change the law. And guess what, Bill? We did. We, we were able to surprisingly pass the House, the Senate, um, have it reconciled, and, and have the governor sign this bill in a record about six and a half weeks. Is it necessary to have people choose sides? I th it, what occurs to me is that you really want to move people to get off the I'm undecided point, and you need to provoke them so that they actually do choose sides. What's your take on that? It's very true, especially in the political work uh, that we do, where we have to, to force people to come down. And once again, you know, we use a lot of emotion um, in that. And one of the things that, that, we, that we often do is, and I have this in the chapter called Positioning Your Message, is we use loss aversion versus prospect theory. And loss aversion versus prospect theory basically says this, that people will respond to what you want them to do more readily if you take $1,000 out of their checking account versus promising them they'll get $1,000. So especially as we're moving, we're trying to get them to choose sides. If we can talk about what's going to be taken away from them, what they're going to lose, we can more likely, more quickly get them over off the fence to what it is that we want them to do. What I'm still smiling about is free the mimosa because I'm imagining somebody, you know, holding the mimosa hostage. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was part of it. Um, is the certifying it too? <laughs> yes, it is the humor, and that's one of the things that I talk about in the chapter of making a connection. Like, how do you make a connection with your audience? And the first one that I use is humor. Humor is a great way to help people drop their barriers, especially 
things around political or public affairs. People have a lot of barriers there. But finding ways to use humor, people laughed when, when we heard the name. They smiled. It made them happy to be part of this campaign. That's right. And it's inclusive. So I, I think that once you have people pick sides, it, it becomes an inclusive factor to say, look, you're on the side that we want people to have more choices and, and choices that enable them to have more enjoyment. And, you know, whatever else would help build that argument logically. Absolutely. And we were able to build um, what we call like an ugly coalition of, of people that usually don't side together on things. Um, but we were able to, to, to make it not about the, the D versus R, but about expanding business, about creating more jobs, creating the, the less role of government in people's lives. We were able to, to pull people that way instead of the D versus R. So we pulled together people that don't usually hang out and play together by the, the sides that they were able to choose. I love that. My next question is about who's uh, one of the most persuasive non-politician public figures today and what makes him or so that persuasive? I would think of a person, if you would allow me to span this to someone who has actually passed now, I would probably say that one of the figures, and maybe so more for me, just kind of seeing some of these things on TV, was a person from the faith background, Billy Graham, who had the ability to speak to people, to speak to things they were going through in their lives, to capture their heart, to capture their emotion. He also used things like music as well to pull people in, um, to, to, in this case, in, in the religious side of things, to, to pull people in, to bring them along. It talk about persuasion. You saw like, like the big ends to his rallies and things of that nature. You know, and this has nothing to do with accepting or rejecting religion, but as much as looking at this person and what he was able to do in his lifetime. And where do you think Billy Graham, if, if you've ever read any of his biography or maybe heard his interviews, where do you think Billy Graham got the ability or the knew that it was important to be persuasive so that he wasn't just a minister in a small church somewhere? but actually reached a global audience. I think that he really had this heartfelt conviction as to what he was saying was extremely true, that it mattered to people's lives, and it mattered to everyone's life. So I think he was extremely driven to get beyond just the four walls because he needed to make sure that more and more people understood uh, his message. So he wasn't happy with just a smaller group. He had this desire to carry this globally because he believed in his heart so much that it was true. So I'm just going to broaden that message just slightly and say that every business owner out there listening, if you truly believe in your heart that your business should be serving more people, that you should be creating a workplace that people want to come to, make sure you're saying things that matter. Make sure you're saying things that you have a heartfelt conviction for so that you reach a wider platform and have a greater impact. That's the message of persuasion that I'm talking with Jeff Tippe here today. Absolutely. And I think, again, like this points to what we've, this theme that has been underlying our entire conversation today um, is, the, uh, is the other person. Like, we, we believe that what we're offering, you know, I'm a business owner, I've started a company, I'm an entrepreneur. We believe that we do bring a solution to people. And when we have that heartfelt connection, and we know that this isn't just about me putting money in an account. When I go stand up on stage and speak, the last thing that's on my mind is the check that that meeting planner is going to give me. When I'm standing on that, on that stage, the only thing that I care about is connecting with people in such a way that they can receive the message of what I have to say and find their life change when they leave to have actionable content that they can walk out 
grow their business, grow something in their personal life, create more abundance for people around them because they believe it inside of themselves. Jeff, are you ready for the my quest for the best lightning round? <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen. Let's go for it. <laughs> but you're open for it, so here we go. I am open. <laughs> so if you think about how you structure or plan your day and what to include, what are two or three components of your routine for daily success? So I begin um, every morning with coffee. Can we count that as a success? Uh, the coffee is like the first part of my day, but for me, um, I begin through exercise. Like that's part of what I, and that's part of the discipline of my life as well. So I start with exercise um, and then I meditate. And then from that, I choose one to two highlight projects that I'm going to accomplish that day. Uh, and then there's always like these little side things that get taken care of. But for me, like, like starting out with exercise, starting out getting my mind focused and my mind centered before any projects. And when you say exercise, is that something self-driven? You follow an app? Do you watch DVDs? I, I'm pretty self-driven on the on that. I had worked with coaches in the past, and you know, for me, I, I run, uh, I cycle, and I, I lift weights as well. What's the book that you've given the most as a gift in the last year? Actually, the book I've given the most was my first book, Pixels Are the New Ink, which helps people understand like how they can move into the digital revolution and how they can get their messages out there. So uh, self-serving, the truth answer is my first book. And if you ever find yourself stuck, unable to move, unable to make progress on a project. What's your favorite way to get unstuck? It's to get out and walk. And that happens to me all the time when I have blocks in writing, when I have blocks in strategy, uh, I just don't know how to move forward to me. And I don't walk outside saying, I'm going to find the answer. I walk outside and I let go of the problem. And I, and the, the area that I'm you know, being held back in, I let it go just to free my mind. And so I will go walk. And what I've also started doing as well, if I still don't have it after that, is just to let it go and allow it to come to me as the time is right. Now, this is an, an interesting one. So listen carefully. Okay. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? Here's what I would say is the belief that I'm not doing enough. That maybe even because of being an entrepreneur, having the responsibility for other lives, being a father as well. I found myself every single day feeling like I wasn't doing enough, that I wasn't measuring up, that I hadn't been productive enough, that I hadn't accomplished. And when I now can close my computer at the end of the day and say, you know what? I may not have done all I wanted to do, but I've done enough for today. It sets me free. It puts peace in my heart, peace in my mind, um, so that I can come back the next day and pick up the next. But letting go of the feeling that I've just not done enough. What a gift that you give yourself each time you do that. The gift that happens is for me is, is, is mental release. And it's, it's the lack of pressure, which I find the next day frees me up to be able to go be productive, accomplish what I need to accomplish the next day. Because I was finding that there wasn't enough blank space in my mind. You know, when, yes. we, when we write ads and stuff, we talk about white space for client ads. But I find that my brain needs some white space, some blank space as well. What's one of the biggest misconceptions about persuasion that you encounter in your day-to-day -day work? Is that people think 
persuasion and manipulation are the same thing. They believe, and it, it's not their fault, but we've been taught a lot. We've gone through sales training and we've, we've been taught things that we thought was persuasion that we find working with people is really manipulation. So the biggest misconception is that persuasion and manipulation are the same thing. And after that, what would you say is the next biggest misconception about persuasion? Of, of people not understanding how this applies to so many different areas of their life. Uh, for example, um, I was speaking um, at for a nurses association and I spoke with someone named Sylvia from a major university hospital and, and you know, at the end of that she came and she found me and she's like Jeff you know I was listening to you with two ears today and I just kind of chuckled like of course you are you know you've got two ears and you know, she just laughed back and then she said that she said no Jeff here's what I mean from that is that you know I was listening for professionally what I need to do with the nurses that I work with but in addition I'm a musician and I'm getting ready to launch my first digital download. She called it a CD, but that was a, a download. And the things that you've given me here, can, I could can take these and help position myself, help market myself. So helping people understand that the, the areas of persuasion, it's not just about your your day-to-day -day job. It might be about your side hustle. It may be about working with your spouse. It, it, could, it transcends all areas of our life. It's not just a, a little small area. And for someone listening now who's in a, a work situation and they want to get others to see their point of view, maybe someone's advocating to ship a product later to include more features, or maybe someone's reluctant to accept a bonus that's below what he or she thinks is fair. What advice would you offer someone to use as a check to see whether they're being as persuasive as they can be. I think the first part of this is always understanding the other's perspective, gaining insights as to why the other person believes X or believes Y, hearing from them what it is, like where the holdups are, where their perspective, what, where they're coming from. Hearing that helps us then to understand like, this is the playing field, this is where they are, and now it gives us a bench, a baseline to move them to the next place. Well, Jeff, you have shared so many great ideas on my quest for the best today. I wanna to thank you so much for sharing with us how you started out with classical piano and learning the discipline to reach goals. Because I'm sure persuasion is like every other skill. It takes practice. You can't just say, I want to be more persuasive. It takes more than intent. It takes skill development. You helped us understand that one of the joys of being persuasive is that you're helping others find their win. And that persuasion can help us become better leaders. And that in order to be persuasive, it's important to get people's attention. And you talked about a number of ways to do that. And I love the story about building an ugly coalition around the Freema Mimosa. That was really great. And then other examples about being more focused and persuasive and how it benefits so many more areas of our lives than just when you might be asked to debate or engage. So for all these reasons, Jeff, I just want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for trusting me to share good content with your audience. I am grateful. Jeff, where do we go to find out more information about the work that you do online and maybe having you in as a speaker? My website is jefftippett.com. That's J-E-F-F-T-I-P-P-E-T-T. -T -T. And if you get any close misspellings, I've got a ton of Google ads around misspellings of my name, you'll <laughs> likely find me. So uh, just check out my website. You'll, you'll find more about me there. Jeff Tippett, author of Unleashing Your Superpower, Why Persuasive Communication is the Only Force You'll Ever Need. Thank you once again. Thank you, Bill, for the opportunity. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. 
I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.